everybody. Welcome to In the Garden of Geekdom. I'm Jan Hawkins. And I'm Deanna Chapman. And this is the show where we watch an episode of Keep Your Hands Off Azokin and another piece of media that goes along with it and compare and contrast. Uh, what did we watch this last week, Deanna? We watched episode nine of the show and Perfect Blue. And it sure was a lot. It was a lot. Content warning for our listeners who may or may not have watched Perfect Blue, but there's some moments in it that depict uh, sexualized violence, and it can be hard to watch. So we will probably discuss that at some point. Might not, but that is something that happens in the movie, so it might happen in the chat. But you had homework too, Deanna. What did I make you pay attention to? So a lot of the stuff that went on with both the episode and the movie have a lot to do with sort of the behind the scenes industry, not so fun part of the entertainment business in general. And I mm-hmm. guess more specifically, like the film industry, but also the music industry in Perfect Blue. And it's fun, super fun. Yeah, learn how to promote yourself and your thing. I never learned how to do that, obviously. Yeah, can't. You definitely don't get paid by other people to help do that or anything. Technically, I don't. Oh, okay. I thought you did. No, I just do lots yeah. of editing. Oh, ads go on the things you do, not you don't make ads for the things. I edit ads sometimes for the things, but oh, okay, then that's like the same. Basically. Is it? Is it yeah. kind of some? Sometimes I'm the one who gets the companies to pay the people, so I guess yeah. Plus, your shows have way more than five followers. I wouldn't say way more. A few more. Ten is like double. Okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) So what happened in the episode of Azalkin? So they are going over, you know, money, finances, which they've done in previous episodes. They've mentioned needing funding, and they have this whole rent issue going on (laughs) with the Sound Club. Sound Club's paying them rent, so they've been getting money off their web website yeah so the student council finds out about that and it's very frowned upon because they're grinches (laughs) and you have a lot of stuff that we've already seen in this episode because you have asakusa and mizusaki walking around and their imaginations are just kind of running wild and we're seeing it as it happens even though it's technically not happening (laughs) which Still one of my favorite parts about this show. But then <laughs> they're both surprised when Kanamori is the one handling all of the social media. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they ask her about that. And then she explains, like, everything that it would go into into promotion. That's cool. Yeah. I want to ask you more about that later. So let's okay. put a pin in that. Okay. And <laughs> she's just so straightforward with all of it. Like, mm-hmm. she's just like, this is what we need to do. So this is what I'm doing. And it makes sense. It all makes sense. And then we get flashbacks again, because we have little Kanamori. She's just a determined little kid. (laughs) Way less annoying than the wolf children. It's true. You hate those wolf children. (laughs) Well, and so she's like, they, what she says is because she's like got this little job at her family's general store. But her like logic behind it was that she had heard. Was it her family? It was family members. It was like an aunt and uncle or something. Oh, okay. Because it didn't seem like her parents. So I was no. 
a little confused. I think I missed like a line or two. She got inspired at the ripe old age of like seven. She heard that pensions weren't cutting it for people's futures anymore. So she decided to get a job to supplement her income. And that's like classic, this kid. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was so great. Mm-hmm. And she's given like this box of random stuff to sell. And she just like immediately within, I think, like the first two minutes starts selling the stuff. And it's fantastic. And then they, of course, start working on the idea for their next short because they're wanting to do like a alien UFO kind of thing, which is fun. Yeah. One of the things that I really love about this episode is that there are like two things that Kanamori is like orchestrating and tricking the other two into and she like purposely takes them all the way through the city on foot like old shopping district where the restaurant is so that on the way Asakusa will like be inspired to make the next thing about the city and she the restaurant she takes them to the waiter the noodle guy Mr. Kashima is actually the young persons association president and he's like, he saw their anime and he was a fan and she's like getting him to get the Chamber of Commerce to financially back their project if they make it a promotional video about the city. So she's like at the same time, just like wheeling these two things together <laughs> while they're like having fun and eating noodles and they don't even realize that she's like pulling all these strings. Mm-hmm. It's great. She's so smart. And they're just like, oh, this is what you're doing. <laughs> Yeah. You're like, can't believe you did that the whole time. The difference in the creative mind and the business mind right there in full effect this episode. Mm-hmm. And they they give us our new goal, our new animation goal, and it's 123 days until Comet A, which is a self-publishing convention. So they're going to try and sell stuff on their own so that they can make that Skrilla. Do the kids still call it that? I've literally never heard that. Oh, okay. Well... <laughs> I think the kids 10 years ago called it that once. I think it's safe to say we both know I don't pay that much attention to children. Except for little baby Kanamori, you know, character growth. She wasn't that young in the the flashback, was she? It's like she was a 10-year-old with the mind of a 30-year-old, so (laughs) I think it's a little different. So then we watched a movie. Then we did watch a movie. Is this the first time you've disliked something this much that I have enjoyed? So going into this project, I also didn't like Akira. But you still think it's good. But I still think it's good. And rewatching Akira, I appreciated it a lot more than the first time I had seen it. Because the first time I had seen it, I was in college. And I think not as, like, smart. (laughs) Bless her heart. She tried. But she was thinking too hard about engineering. She didn't have time to think critically about animation. (laughs) The problem with Perfect Blue, though, is I saw it, like, last year. And I didn't like it. (laughs) So... I hated it then and I hate it now, and I am glad since watching it, I've now watched all of Satoshi Kon's movies, and I'm glad to say he gets better, and like, you saw, we saw Paprika, we talked about Paprika. It was a lot better in my opinion, but yeah, this is the first one that I have hated and am going to continue to hate until the day I die, maybe, because now I know you can do better. (laughs) I think conceptually, Paprika does have a way better story. Has a way better story. It has a lot of the same like themes and movements and ideas and like characters skipping around and the same like whatever and yeah, it's the same. Anyway, 
this movie. Super bloody. Super bloody. It's one of them there thrillers. It was made in 1997 by Satoshi Kon, who we've watched Paprika. He's done other things. This was his first theatrical release and kind of not fully intentionally in his opinion. Uh, he thought it was going to be an OVA, that it was going to be straight to video kind of thing. And then the studio ended up releasing it in theaters. And he was like, ooh, okay. <laughs> Might have done some things differently had I known <laughs> that going into it. It's based off of a book called Perfect Blue Complete Metamorphosis by Yoshikazu Takeuchi. And the plot is not super the same. The writer agreed that Satoshi Kon and the screenplay writer uh, Sadayuki Murai would get to have a lot of freedom with it. Okay. As long as they kept the main ideas, and the main ideas being that the main character was a pop idol singer, and there's a stalker. And so he kept those, and the rest of it he kind of played with to make it this, like, bloody, bloody thing. We know I love bloody, bloody things. Bloody disgusting. Um, <laughs> it was produced by Madhouse and Masamu Maruyama, who did produce also Paprika and Wolf Children and a bunch of other stuff that Kon did and Mamoru Hosoda did. The cinematography was by Hisao Shirai. The editing was done by Harutoshi Ogata. Just like Paprika, the art director was Nobutaka Ike. The animation director was Hideki Hamasu, who has done the key animation in like almost everything we have watched. Okay. And if you named a movie that is Japanese animated, you probably did key animation for it. Um, but nothing Lupin. There's no Lupin connection this time. I'm so bummed. <laughs> I'm sorry. Speaking of, I learned this week that you didn't know what Lupin was about and that I've been talking about Lupin this whole time. And you thought he was a wolf? A werewolf. A werewolf. I'm fascinated by that. I can't believe it took us until like getting into heists to, to, for me to learn that I have been misleading you about what Lupin is. Well, that's because you never told me what Lupin is. I guess so. Because that was kind of the whole thing with this, is you weren't going to tell me anything about anything. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But I haven't told you to watch any Lupin things up until then, so now I take that back. But yeah, Lupin's a heist guy. Very appropriate for the last theme. Also, I absolutely only thought that because I think of Harry Potter. Because of Remus Lupin? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. The music in Perfect Blue was done by... Masahiro Ikumi, but fun fact, in the pizza box murder scene that we get, mm -hmm. uh, where the pizza delivery person so shows good. up, that pizza box says Big Body on it. Okay. And that's weird, right? That's a reference to an album by Susumu Hirasawa's band P-Model, and that is the guy who ends up doing the music for all the subsequent Satoshi Kon movies. Okay. So I don't know if Satoshi Kon just like was like, here's a little reference. Do you like me? Will you do music for my movies? Yeah. Or what? But it's a weird way to get somebody in your show. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of weird stuff in this movie, too. There's a lot of weird stuff in this movie. I mean, Paprika was weird, so I kind of expected this to also be weird. And there's some stuff in here that really blurs the line between what's actually happening and what's not. Yeah. Especially in some of the, like, acting scenes. Yes. They, like, take it all the way up to that line. And then they, they make you think, is this actually happening? 
or are we still filming this TV show or movie? Yeah, it's like a total psychological trip. Our main character, Mima, will be in a scene facing somebody and then someone else will touch her and suddenly she's in a completely different scene and over and over again, you're just like, where is she? I'm disoriented. She's disoriented. What's happening? Yeah. You know, she kind of does the opposite of the Disney Nickelodeon pop star because they start on TV shows and then become massive pop stars, you know, like Ariana Grande and Miley Cyrus and whatever. Although Miley has a very famous father, so you could argue that's not necessarily the same. But I think having them flip that and then she still has to see the other two girls. Suddenly <laughs> because, be successful. Yeah, well, that and the fact that they're still under the same management for completely different industries. Usually that's not how that happens here, at least. Like with music, you typically have a manager and a separate like touring agent slash booking agent. And then you have, you know, like your business manager. You get a lot of people for a lot of things. Yeah. For the big artists, they have like all of these different people who don't necessarily work for the same company either. Mm -hmm. Like a booking agency will be completely separate from like a management agency. I imagine film is kind of the same, but you don't really tour with film. So they do like press junkets and stuff, though. They do some little tour things. Yeah, but that's that's probably going to be set up with a PR firm. Okay. This is also complicated. This is why I'm not in entertainment. This specifically, not any lack of skill in any sort of talent on my side. Yeah, so I imagine for film and whatnot, it's your publicist and your mm-hmm. manager. And obviously, they all the big acts have lawyers, regardless of which part of the entertainment industry they're in, if they're smart. Is your manager the same thing as your agent? I assume so. We have friends who are in these industries. We should feel these questions to Well, I think it just depends. Like, I think they're called agents in film and managers in music. Oh, okay. But they kind of serve the same role. Like, a music manager is getting the band opportunities, and an agent is getting you auditions. Yeah. Is my guess. That makes sense. So, yeah. So, Mima has two agents, I guess, technically, because she's got yeah. the one, Tadakoro, who is trying to steer her film career. And then we've got Rumi, who really was heavily involved with the idol career. Yeah. And it seems like they're a package deal. They just co-manage everyone that's on the roster. Yeah. It does seem like that way. So Mima was with this band, Cham, for two and a half years. And then she's like, Mm, this we've never really been that successful. I'm going to be an actress now. And then as soon as she leaves, Cham finally breaks like the Billboard Top 100. That can't feel great. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. I think it's really interesting. They focus a lot on um, her trying to detach herself from the pop idol image. But in the process, like the industry just kind of like chews her up and spits her out. They make her do a lot of really difficult and really degrading things and she hates doing it because you don't tell me anything about these movies before going into them i was like oh that's where this is going yeah it's great it's wild so here's my problem with the movie i'll just get the rant out of the way and then we can do it here's the thing is that idol culture is extremely toxic especially for young women so Uh you've got these groups i mean like were there any girl groups 
in American, like I'm thinking NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, Five Seconds of Summer. I mean, yeah, there were girl groups, but... One Direction. None of them were as big as any of the solo acts. Like it was Britney and Christina. Yeah. Who blew up. And they were like the Mickey Mouse Club graduates, but... Yeah. And I mean, if you go R&B, you have TLC and Destiny's Child, but... Yeah. I don't think those were necessarily put together the same way. They weren't. And those... They're really good, but their image was never, like, evaluated the same way. One of the things that I really, that's really rough about the idol culture, idol industry for pop musicians in groups in Japan and, like, Korea is that for girls you get, and it's changing a lot, it's getting a lot better, but there's this huge focus on, like, purity culture and, like, them being this idea of, like, a virginal, perfect, untouched thing, because then to fans can form their weird parasocial relationships, just like the Moe concept Mm -hmm. with whichever character they like in the group. Yeah, it's funny that there really weren't any, like, girl groups here that kind of blew up the same way the boy bands did. I mean, not here, but Spice Girls is, like, the only... Yeah, think about, like, Spice Girls is... I don't know if Haim counts. Yeah, or, like, Danity Kane, but that was, like, mid-2000s. I don't even know who that is. I think they were on one of those, like, P. Diddy shows on MTV or something. I I don't know. Yeah. I'm thinking of, like, the Cheetah Girls. (laughs) Were they an actual group or were they just a movie? (laughs) The fake band? Fake band. Okay, so they weren't even, dang, they're, like, the monkeys. But there's, like, this, like, culture obsession where you pick one and that's the one that you love and you buy all their little photos. It's, like, how people treat um, Mizusaki, kind of as an actress Mm -hmm. in Aizouken. Like, they go to fan greetings, and they'll shake the hand and all that, and it's, like, cute, but it can be really toxic and really unhealthy. And so, so Samima gets a stalker. And I think that between all the horrific things she has to go through as she's trying to, like, separate herself from her, like, idol image, and all of the, like, terrible things she has to deal with with the stalker and, like how she's starting to like break down and disassociate from like her own experience because she doesn't know what she wants. I think all of this would make for such a good movie taking down and criticizing like this concept and being like a reflection of all that. And then in the last 10 minutes of the movie, you find out that her agent Rumi is actually the one with the creepy obsession with her like pure idol image and that Rumi thinks she's Mima, the pop idol, and she tries to kill her. And, like, they put her in, like, the, like, tight outfit, and they make, Mm -hmm. like, she's, like, a fine-looking person. She's a normal-looking person. And then they put her in this outfit that, like, is intentionally doesn't fit to, like, insult her. And they change her intelligence level. Like, she, like, just stabs herself with a mirror and all this stuff. And it's just, it makes me, it's like, okay, so you took this thing that was really cool and was really like saying a lot and could like have been great. And then you just like knocked the Jenga tower down with misogyny and made it weird and you made it bad and it could have been so good. Yeah. I need to correct myself. The Cheetah Girls did exist. Oh. They were just all former members of 3LW. Okay. I'm glad that that's what you were thinking about while I was telling you what I did. <laughs> I was listening. Okay. (laughs) I just had to make sure I corrected myself. Set the record straight. That's fine. That's fine. But yeah, that was my one big issue with the movie. I still liked it, but they had everything pointing to creepy website guy. 
the whole time. Yeah. Which me mania makes sense because we see him. He's everywhere. At the first concert. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> this movie opened with like some weird Power Rangers thing going on before the girls went on stage. Sentai, but okay. And I was like, what am I watching? The Aquabats. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> But I was just like, this is very strange because they had like helmets on and stuff. Yeah. Have you never been to an Aquabats concert? No. You're from Orange County. Oh my goodness. Okay. Why would I go see the Aquabats? Because they rock and ska's the best. Anyway, they they dress up like their little superhero idea and do like fight monsters on stage while they perform their concerts. That much I know because I did intern at a record label they used to be on. Oh, cool. Okay. But... Yeah, it's like, or like, I think like you see like Sesame Street live or like shows like that live, like Sentai stuff, Power Rangers. I was just a little confused because that seemed like a strange opener for... They were like at the same theater. I don't think they were the same event. Like, I don't think they went from Sentai to Sham. That's what it looked like, though. So that's why I think I was very confused when this started. And then I was like, oh, okay, this is not (laughs) going where I I thought it was going. Yeah, I think they were taking turns doing the stage because all the Sham fans were outside watching something else while the Sentai thing happened. Okay, that makes more sense. I just got so confused. I stopped, my brain stopped working. But anyway, so you have our main character who is trying to make this big change. And it's not a given because when you think about it, like in real life, how many singers try to act and it just does not work out. No. So many of them. Yeah. And even like the biggest names might only do a few things. Like how many things has Beyonce been in? Dreamgirls? I didn't know she was in movies. I need to watch a Beyonce movie. It might just be Dreamgirls. I'm not 100% sure. Nope, that's not true. There's some Lifetime movie that she was into, I think. Yeah. They're no Lady Gaga. Anyway. Most of them, they don't get to take off. Yeah. Not everyone is going to get nearly as many roles as Lady Gaga and Justin Timberlake. Barbra Streisand. Right. But some of them will. Was Queen Latifah a rapper first or an actress first? Um, That's a good question. Either way, she's doing great. I think she's always kind of done both. She's a multi-talented woman. She's great. And it's the same with the Disney kids who get into singing. It's like, I don't know if any of those shows are actually good. Mm -hmm. But you know, you got your Miley's and Hilary Duff's and Ariana Grande's. One of them is probably much more massive than the others. One of them is much more grande than the others right now. Yeah. And one has a famous dad. So Mm -hmm. you kind of got all three things covered (laughs) there. And I think with this, because we only hear her on the phone with her mom, what, like, once or twice. Yeah. We don't really get a sense of the full picture for Mima, which I think that would have helped a little more because it's like... Yeah, we don't know who she is. Do her parents just not want to see her at anything that she is doing? (laughs) Yeah. And that's a really good point. Like, I mean, they, you don't get any background of like who she is or what she believes in. Right. And like, her mom even is like, why would you stop singing? I thought like you wanted to be a singer. And Rumi's like, why would you stop singing? That was like your dream. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, I want to be an actress now. And then they'll ask her to do things and she'll agree to do them. And then she'll go home and cry about it because she didn't want to do it. And it's like, what do you want? Who are you? Yeah. And I think the whole thing with Rumi, it was just so much all at once. I did really like the whole uh, creepy dude serial killer plot line, though. Yeah, I like that part. I think that would have been good. And it could have even been Rumi, just been a little bit more respectful to Rumi and less... Oh. I think 
in order for that twist to work, they would have had to set it up sooner. Because mm-hmm. she disappears for part of the movie. And the guy's just like, ah, she's doing work. Yeah. It's like, that's not what's happening. And knowing the twist, I was trying to look for more clues for it. Like, they mentioned that she used to be an idol, Rumi did. And, like, one of the diary entries from Mima's room is like, I got an email today and that made me really happy. But I honestly couldn't tell between Rumi and Mimania which one was supposed to be writing the diary entries Mm -hmm. because while they were emailing each other because it still wasn't super clear. But um, I like that moment when Mima wakes up in, quote unquote, her room Uh and you see the Fisher alive and you're like, oh, something is wrong. Yeah. (laughs) And... So there's like, oh, there's so much potential. There's so much potential, Dana. It makes me more angry because it could have been good. I still really liked it. But yeah, I think the twist wasn't earned Mm -mm. at the end. Yeah. But because they waited so long to reveal it, I did like everything that came before it. So, Mm -hmm. and you have that other scene that she's filming where they're talking about DID. Oh, yeah. And it was just so (laughs) weird. I was like, wait. Did she do all of this? So they misdirect you, too. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, no, she killed everyone. <laughs> they keep you on the edge of your seat the whole time. And like all the things they do with mirrors, uh, after you had sent me the link to an article that Bloody Disgusting had mm-hmm. done on it that is good and we'll link to on, like, Twitter and in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But I paid a lot of attention to mirrors watching it because I was like, all right, how does she, how does she do this? Oh, this is good. Yeah, and the these things happen where I'll like watch something and then either someone publishes an article on it or a podcast, mm-hmm. which has happened to me twice recently. So I watched Perfect Blue and then this article came out like three, four days later. Oh, I didn't realize it was like new. Yeah, it was published yesterday. That's so weird. From the day, you know, we're obviously recording this well in the past now, but (laughs) it came out like the same week I watched the movie and I watched Speed 2. And then our friend Richard sent me a link to a podcast that just came out about how Speed 2 was made. Oh, that's cool. So you've got like podcast divination. I don't know, but sometimes it's a little weird, but it certainly was a timely article on Perfect Blue. And it's really well done. I, I learned what some words are. What words did you learn? Mostly otaku, because that was a thing they made sure to point out in the article. Yeah, yeah. So this is maybe not quite a bit, but is a bit light. But I realized it's something that's really relevant that we should talk about since you're getting into the world of nerd animation things. Um, what does the word otaku mean to you now? So when I was reading through everything, I was just like, oh, this is the the creepy tech dude who has no social skills whatsoever. <laughs> and that is definitely like a kind. It's like having like a person who has like a consuming, like all consuming, but mostly consuming at least interest. A stalkerish obsession. It doesn't have to be a stalkerish obsession, though. It doesn't have to be creepy, but antisocial, for sure. Antisocial. Anime, manga, video games, computers. So in Japan, the perception of otaku is extremely negative, and it is like a derogatory thing. Um, specifically, more along the lines of what you're saying, where it's like stalkery, really unhealthy, like blah, 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 mm-hmm. negative. Um, and this got like exacerbated by the fact that there was a 
guy who is now called like the otaku murderer, who I'm not going to name him. He was a piece of trash who did horrible things. He was pedophilic, necrophilic, cannibal murderer. And so in Japan, when people think about otaku, they think about this really horrible, bad, just like laundry list of negative qualities type thing. But in the United States, people who watch like anime or read manga will like self-identify as otaku in a way where it's not seen. It's like more endearing. <laughs> yeah, it's like geek, but like for Japanese stuff. It's like fangirl, fanboy obsession. Yeah, so there's like kind of this appropriation of that word to like downplay. So like if you were like... Each one has like a very fine line with the meaning though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you told someone in the United States that you're an otaku, they might think some negative things about you, but they would mostly just think, oh, you like anime. But if you were to say to someone in Japan that you were otaku, they'd be like, why are you admitting that? That's not something to be proud of. Yeah. But I use the word weeb a lot. Does that mean anything to you? What does that mean to you? I just assumed it was an anime nerd. Okay. Yeah, kind of. So I sent you a uh, link in the chat to an image. Could you please click on that for me? So, okay. I have sent Deanna the webcomic uh, for Perry for Perry Bible Fellowship comic strip that was done by Nicholas Gerwich, where it's like a bunch of guys doing a boardroom meeting, and we'll put we'll put this on the Twitter and the social medias. But um, they just start making up this nonsense word and chanting it, right? Um, I'm super confused by this. In the early 2000s, 4chan would derogatorily call white anime fans, quote unquote, I think it might be a racial slur, maybe. So maybe I shouldn't say it, but like they called they called them a word that's like Japanese, but with a W instead of a J. And then that was like, they would like write it all the time and they it like, it's 4chan. So like they'd say like terrible things to each other. So eventually Shocking. the... Moderators of 4chan were tired of people using this word, so they took the word weeaboo from this comic and they changed it, had like a like word filter, word replacer thing. So anytime someone wrote that, um, it would post and say weeaboo instead. <laughs> and so people who are like really into Japanese culture or like animation, kind of like unhealthily obsessed with it and stuff. Um, big fans of anime and manga will get called a weeaboo. And so it's gotten shortened to weeb. And that is, between the two words, I think the more fun way to self-describe as an anime fan if you're going to use one of the two because it doesn't have all the other connotations. So that is... That's fun. Super fun. A little bit different. So it means Mm -hmm. nothing. Weeaboo means nothing. Yeah, it's just a very strange comic that ends with someone with their pants down. So <laughs> he's getting like hazed or something. Looks very not fun. And also people who are Anglophiles get called Tiaboos, like T-E-A instead. Okay. And so it's that's a nonsense word made out of a nonsense word, but Fantastic. Yeah. Today you learned. That's that's the bit ish. <laughs> Learning a lot today. But I think I don't know. I get why you didn't like this, mm-hmm. but I still think people should watch it. Yeah. Especially because like it's Khan's first thing. Yeah. I guess I didn't realize that anime has all the same genres as normal movies. Yeah. Because <laughs> Paprika was very much like watching Inception, which I know Inception came after. Mm-hmm. But this was straight up just like 
watching a normal psychological thriller. Yes. Which, Deanna, have you watched Black Swan? Yes. It's been a while. I would strongly recommend you rewatch Black Swan after seeing this because okay. you'll be like, one, Darren Aronofsky straight up took the like scene of Mima in the bathtub and put it into Requiem for a Dream. So he, we know for a fact I have he seen that too. has seen yeah. this movie and likes it. But Black Swan is perfect blue, I think. Okay. That makes sense. I like Black Swan though. So that's. But with ballet. Yeah. Ballet, no dumb twist at the end. Yeah. That tracks. And like we said, I love bloody movies. Yeah. Black Swan has a lot of blood. So does Perfect Blue. Blue has a lot of blood. Yeah. So that's why, despite my feelings about this movie, I really wanted to put it on the list of things to watch because I was like, I think that showing Deanna the spectrum of animation would be good. I liked it. I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it. What was your rating? Was it like out of five stars? What would you put it? I think I gave it a four. That's pretty, pretty good. I gave it a two, but I'm a hater. That's fine. Oddly enough, like I've watched Secret Window more than any other Stephen King adaptation. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that happened. It just happened. Like, I watched it, then I needed to watch it for something else, and I needed to rewatch it for the podcast. Mm -hmm. But that also is a person dealing with dissociative identity disorder. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know, there's just something about the way that people do those movies. Yeah, or like a Fight Club. Spoil Like, 20-year yeah. late spoiler alert <laughs> on Fight Club. But like, Yeah, I just really like these kinds of movies. It's true. Okay, so we've gotten, you love heists and you like multiple personality. Did you see Split? Yes. Okay. I don't think I enjoyed that one as much as some of the others I've watched. I had a boss who wanted to see Split and so he rented it and he started watching it and he watched like an hour of this bowling movie and kept being like, when does all this other stuff show up? Like, where are all these other people? And it turns out that he just like accidentally watched a movie about bowling by the same name. I mean, a split's a split. <laughs> so that is a thing. <laughs> that's all that's, that's great. All I can think about with that. Truly amazing. Can I ask you some questions? Sure. Um, there's a scene in Keep Your Hands Off Azokin where Asuka says like, her and Domeki are working together to try and do a sound. And then Domeki plays like an audio clip that she's constructed. I I was like, I want to know what Deanna thinks of this. <laughs> the way that Asakusa describes sounds <laughs> is extremely relatable. It's one of those things where like musicians do this all the time in the studio. Like they'll just say it needs to be punchier. And it's like, uh, okay, <laughs> sure. We'll go with that. Like, what does that mean? Or they'll say something else along those lines that just doesn't really mean anything at all. And the producer just kind of has to know how to, like, translate that into actual music language mm -hmm. <laughs> so that they can do it. And sometimes it's like they just want it louder. <laughs> like, that, that's it. But we talked about in a previous episode how I was watching a video on Skywalker Sound. Mm -hmm. And it's never just one sound that creates a sound. Right. They layer everything. So this reminded me of that again. And I was like, I really want to play with sounds. I really liked it too. And I like, I thought of that and I thought of you. And then I also like, 
when Asakusa's doing her like little thing, she Kanamori asks is like, oh, so that's how you want it performed? And she was like, has this like eye-opening, oh, this is a performance moment that had previously been not there for her. And looking at um, Perfect Blue, like they are just animating performances the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's a performance of a performance, basically. But yeah, going into that with that mindset, I was like, yeah, wow. Yeah, it's acting within acting. Mm-hmm. Shell Corporation of, uh, that's not what, like a Matryoshka doll. <laughs> Onions of Layers. Yeah. Uh-huh. There we go. Um, you could have just said Russian doll. That would have... Russian doll. There we go. Helped yeah, that. more. <laughs> well, that's a show. It is. So there's a moment that I told us to put a pen in, and I'm unpinning that pen. And throwing the grenade. And throwing the grenade. Oh, is that what that's for? No. Um, that can't be right. Okay. There's a part in the show where Kanamori says there's nothing fun about social media. Correct. And I wanted to know if you felt called out by that or not, and uh, what it's like as a creative professional to be trying to do that kind of stuff. So I've just stopped trying to do that kind of stuff. Okay. I have not posted to the Chat Cemetery Instagram in months, I don't Mm. think. Like, Mm. I just stopped posting there. I, for a while, was trying to post, like, almost daily on my personal account for Instagram, and I just stopped doing that too and a lot of it has to do with the fact that I was just busy Mm -hmm. but at the same time like there's a reason brands hire a person or a team of people to run their social media accounts because it is a whole other job yeah and I follow a bunch of other people like youtubers and business people who help creatives and a lot of it is like you have to pick your lane and kind of stay in it Mm -hmm. which is kind of boring as a person who likes a lot of things. It's a diverse interest in many lanes. I don't want to just like tweet about podcasts and that's it. Yeah. But that's what you have to do to make it work, which is why I've just given up on trying to make it work. That makes sense. Yeah. Trying to do your own media on top of like your two projects media and not just Instagram, but also Twitter and also like... Yeah. And because... Sure, Kanamori's doing a bunch of the business and money stuff and whatnot, but she's not the one making the anime. No. And trying to do social media. Yeah, she would lose her mind. So her whole strategy is take what the other two are doing and post, like, work-in-progress stuff and behind-the-scenes kind of stuff and use Mizusaki's familiarity and, I guess... Is she famous? She is. She's like a little actress child of two other actors. She's she's a Hannah Montana. Yeah, so use her as a way to drive traffic and get people interested. Yeah, their followers went from like 12 to 500 as soon as they posted a picture of her. Right. And it's not that she's exploiting her necessarily because she is part of the team doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not like she's just the face of it. So I think that's very smart. Yeah. And it's why it's also easier, like, when celebrities launch a podcast, people make a big deal about it Mm -hmm. because they're celebrities. It doesn't matter if the podcast is good or not. Yeah. Some of them are. Like, I will give some of them credit, but others, it's just like, this is your TV show in podcast form or something. Well, it's like, companies will approach them and be like, hey, you were in a movie once. Do you want a podcast? Yeah. And, you know, like, Seth Rogen is doing one that is apparently pretty good. And there are a lot of comedians who have successful podcasts, you know. Yeah, I love Conan O'Brien's. 
he just got $150 million for his podcast. So good for him. He didn't need it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, Mark Marin had been podcasting way before everyone, mm-hmm. pretty much. And that's why his show is so big. His show is massive. He had Obama on his podcast. I mean, yeah, it's a big show. It's wild. But, you know, he wasn't a name I knew before getting into podcasts. So he's kind of had like the opposite effect where it's like some people knew who he was, sure, but then the podcast made him bigger. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I don't think Conan O'Brien can get any bigger no. than he already is. He definitely can't. But it certainly gets him a nice big fat paycheck for that podcast. Yeah. At least he has other people on his podcast too, so that he's like, well, yeah. He's got his assistant, he's got the producer is often partaking in it and he's on other shows so yeah and that's basically what they're doing with social media they're using the team in a way that makes sense for this other medium yeah it's really interesting so what you're saying is you need to hire a teen or some other social media person to do that part of the advertising for you i mean yeah but i don't care enough to okay you don't want to hire a local youth for their summer job the local youth here like 10-year-olds, so I don't... Oh, they'd be really good at getting you TikTok clout. <laughs> but they're children. Yeah, that's true. They'd probably be more like the wolf children, too, and not as much Kanamori. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Well, this has all been really informative. Thank you, Deanna. I have learned a lot, and I hope you've done the same. That's good. I already don't know what I said this entire episode, so... <laughs> Welcome to my life. I want to say, okay, I don't... Hopefully we have like an end thing so that we're crediting you for this. But one of the things that I appreciate about us in this experience is that you do the editing and that makes it so that I can make dumb posts on Twitter and pretend that this is going to be something big one day. Um, And so I like that tag team of an effort. And by tag team of an effort, I mean, you do all the hard stuff and I post on Twitter. But see, to me, I'm doing the easy stuff. Yeah. See, that's why this works. I'm just going to keep texting you random things that you can post on Twitter. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. It is going to be all me being dumb about things. I have so many bookmarks and things saved where I'm just slowly going to start trickling them out. Like I have like folders of things that I'm waiting for the episodes to start releasing so that it's timely. Yeah, that's that's good. So what are we watching next time? We are watching episode 10 of Keep Your Hands Off a Zaukin Against Our Independent World. And then we are watching Liz and the Bluebird. And I know nothing about either of those things. But what do I need to... What's my homework? Your homework, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is Mm. to pay attention to how they do nonverbal storytelling in this movie. What happens if I don't accept it? I guess we're done. If if you don't, you know, we just just call it quits at episode 9. Gonna cut us three episodes short. In the Guiding Geekdom is a spinoff of Welcome to Geekdom by our host, Deanna Chapman. Check out her YouTube channel for more opinions on general geekery. Our intro and outro music is by Associations. Do yourself a favor and go to associations.bandcamp.com to listen to more of their stuff. For a multimedia experience with links and images, follow us on Twitter at geek underscore Guiden. 